you take a three, a four, and a five car shopping, you know, the three is going to, he's going to buy the Honda Accord, right? He's going to buy what's efficient and effective, and he's going to get that done. The the four is going to buy something that's totally impractical, but reflects their personality in some ways. And the five is going to sit there looking at Auto Trader for six months, unable to make a decision about which one. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today we begin our journey through the head triad. Ooh. So these are our fives, our sixes, our sevens. Today, we're going to be talking about the five, commonly referred to as the thinker. Uh, so Sam, what are some of the other nicknames for these folks? Yeah, the wise person, the investigator, the innovator, the observer, the specialist, the radical, and the expert. I always like I like the term the scholar. Like when I think of these folks, I just think of scholars. You know, mm, yeah, they're just like brilliant. The I'm like these owls. are the people that put us on the moon for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, when I think of a healthy five. What what comes to mind for me is we've got a friend that we'll invite to parties or get-togethers or some of us will have some kind of special event going on and we'll invite them and they'll they'll come to the party they'll come to the event but they're never interested in being like the center of attention um, you know they're not going to like get out in the middle of the dance floor and go for it but you'll look around and you'll notice like. This guy is just having a series of small, private, one-on-one conversations, mm-hmm. you know, as as he just kind of works his way around the room. And then, you know, he'll congratulate the person if it's like some event they're having. Yeah. And then he'll kind of, you know, quietly kind of slip out the back. Um, so, like, he's come and he's, like, made his presence known. He's loved on his friends. But then he is out. That's like how an introvert does a party, I feel like, just in general. Yeah, totally. Well, but but then the same guy, you know, another thing that comes to mind is, you know, there's other, another time where we've gone out for dinner and, you know, there'll be a huge group of us and we'll go out for dinner and the same kind of thing will happen. Like he's having like a bunch of small private conversations, mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden we realize like he's kind of quietly slipped out the back, but the catch is this. We'll go to ask for the bill and they'll say, oh, he's already paid for it. Wow. And so like he's like super generous, you know, with his presence and even with his finances. But he's also he's totally an introvert at the exact same time. And when I think of healthy fives, that that is what comes to mind for me is these kinds of folks. So let's talk for a second just about what the resourceful traits of the thinker, the wise person, uh, what some of their resourceful traits are. You know, these folks live with an objective point of view. They're able to really look at all the different sides and facts and figures that are at play in a situation and really objectively weigh those things out to have wisdom without allowing either their personal motives to get overly involved or their emotions to get overly involved or their biases to come into play. They really have this ability to weigh things out and to be very fair and objective. 
These folks have very creative minds. They are great listeners. A lot of times, uh, a lot of fives are counselors uh, because they just listen so well and they ask such great inquisitive questions. As I said before, they're often scholars. I love going on vacations with fives because like everywhere we go is like vacationing with Wikipedia. Yeah, they just say like, hey, do you know this? this like, yeah, oh. like I was in I was in England once with a guy who's got, you know, tons of five and we're walking through Oxford and he starts telling me all about the boys choir that sings in this bell tower mm-hmm. and they've been doing it since the year 1400 every May and that if we were there on such and such date, we would hear such and such song. It is it is like vacationing with Wikipedia. Yeah, it's I feel like awesome. fives like to have a thing that they're the expert on. So some of them are really into architecture and design or history or theology or collecting something. They just kind of have this sense of like, I'm going to do a deep dive into this one thing and I'm really going to try to find out all that I can. I'm going to look at it from all possible angles, review and research everything. Like they're the the book readers. They, yeah, they just kind of have the corner lot on a certain topic. I yeah, feel like. absolutely. Like I think deep dive is the exact right term. Like these lo- these folks just love to go deep into things. The other thing too that can surprise people sometimes is that uh, fives don't tend to talk as much socially as, as other personality types, hmm. but what they do tend to be is very witty. These folks will oh, drop so like the wittiest bombs right in the middle. But here's the thing. With a lot of fives, you get one shot. Like if you don't hear them the first time, they typically don't repeat themselves. So yeah, they're you... like the guy in the back of the class that just like makes fun of the teacher. But like everybody around them is pretty oblivious except for like the person that sits next to them and they're yeah. totally having just like the best time. Yeah, you want to sit next to a five like in a social setting because that five is going to drop like a whole bunch of witty bombs that are going to just like Yeah, because they're observing so everything. And so they're able to like draw really quick conclusions and synthesize everything that's happening and just give like a one sentence kind of comment about it. Yeah, totally. Uh, they're great analyzers of data. They're they're very, very perceptive people. And they're also just very reflective. They they tend to experience life and then back up and really to consider the life they're living, the, the experiences they're having. They want to, to take time to process um, the world that they live in. And so these folks tend to just be very reflective. So that, those are the strengths of the thinker, of the wise person. So Sam, tell me a little bit about what happens when these folks become non-resourceful. They have this ability to be more reflective and not as reactive. And so that can be a good thing, but their lack of reactivity can kind of shame their people around them. So they kind of get out of touch with their emotions and with their facial features, especially. Um, And they can start to just look like they aren't emoting anything at all. So they stay in their minds. They get stuck in their minds. Okay. So when I was a kid, I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, Chuck E. Cheese had, I don't know if they still have this or not, but they had these giant animatronic figures that would play the band, you know, up on stage. And I remember once that like, the animatronics in Chuck E. Cheese's face broke. So like his whole body was like still moving and still like playing the piano. And it was like real animated. But nothing was happening on his face. Oh, gosh. And now as an adult, I go like, oh, that's just a non-resourceful five. (laughs) That's all that's happening right now. You know, one of the tips that we give to fives is for fives to work on their mirroring skills. Because a lot of times fives just don't realize it. They have diverted so much energy up into their minds that there are times where they just have turned their faces off yeah, and yeah. they don't realize that they are not visually reacting, you know, responding to the person they're talking to. But sometimes fives can inadvertently really end up shaming the other person because the other person is looking for some kind of mirrored response. Mm. So again, fives, I just want to encourage you, if somebody else is smiling, smile back to them. Yeah. If they're nodding their heads, nod back to them. But that is true. They can become so stuck in their heads that they kind of forget and lose touch with their bodies. And so they become overly detached and they actually have a fear of their feelings because as kids, 
they didn't necessarily feel safe in their own families. And so they started looking for a way that they could feel secure and confident in other areas. And so a lot of times that meant detaching from their own emotional worlds and just kind of retreating into their heads. So they studied something, they went and read books. So they really did kind of adopt this posture of like, I'm the guy that thinks about things. I'm not the guy that feels things. And so they become kind of uncaring. They don't really have a ton of deep friends. It's really hard to connect deeply with the five because they don't think that they have a lot to give. They kind of feel like they have a certain amount of words for the day and then they're done. And so they hoard themselves off and they hoard their emotions too. Yeah. So as a, as a non-resourceful five gets older, they, you know, they become increasingly reclusive, right? I mean, if they don't have a whole lot of friends when they're younger, it's not like, you know, things get better relationally as we get older, you know, the echoes get louder, right? Mm, so mm-hmm. so if somebody's struggling in friendships when they're younger, they just become more reclusive as they get older. Yeah, which is really sad when you think about it because they kind of live this life of just like, I'm the guy that's a wallflower. I'm on the outside looking in. I don't really have a lot to contribute to the to the main thing. But that mindset over time will really have negative consequences. And then on top of that, non-resourceful fives, they can just become greedy, not only with themselves, but their things as well. And so they just hold on to so much and they never share, they never open back up. Well, and they have to become greedy, right? Because if you don't have anybody else to depend on because you don't have a lot of close friends, then the only person you can really depend on is yourself. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about the wake-up call for the five. Every personality type has a moment at which they're crossing a line and they're beginning to make decisions from an unhealthy place that is being led more from compulsion and reactivity rather than a place that's in tune with God and in tune with the Holy Spirit. And for the five, that is when you begin to withdraw from reality into concepts and mental worlds. So if you're a five and you find yourself withdrawing from your real world relationships, the flesh and blood people around you, the real responsibilities around you, the actual life experiences that you're having, the emotions that are associated with those life experiences, and instead you find yourself becoming fixated on concepts, on thinking, on withdrawing into some mental, you know, landscape that is coming at the price of the people in your life, that is your warning sign. It is time to change course. Mm -hmm. So the primary struggle for folks that are in the head triad is the struggle of fear. And this fear, eventually it becomes exaggerated. And then this exaggerated fear for folks that are fives, for thinkers, it eventually gives birth to the deadly sin of greed. And this greed is nurtured by the belief that enough is never enough. If I set a goal for my savings account, I need just a little bit more in my savings account. Mm -hmm. If I have an idea of how much time tonight I want to have some alone time, It's never quite enough. I need another hour or two. If folks ask me for help and I want to help them a little bit, but then they ask me for more, now I'm irritated that they've asked me for more because enough is just never quite enough. So this greed tempts people to hoard and to withhold from others. And this comes from a place of being afraid of not being enough, not having enough emotional presence, relational presence, relational energy, uh, financial uh, means to be able to contribute to the relationships in their lives. And this, of course, causes them to withdraw from relationships. But then withdrawing from the relationships becomes the avenue by which they justify feeling and being greedy. So this is the deadly sin, the deadly sin of greed. So Uh, So, Sam, every personality type has some kind of psychological defense. So what is the defense for the wise person, for the thinker? Yeah, unsurprisingly, it's isolation. So it's their ability and their tendencies to detach 
from their own feelings and from the feelings and relationships with other people. So they compartmentalize their life. And so they, you know, you may work with somebody who's a five and then they'll just like mention something randomly that they never shared before because they just compartmentalize so much of their life. They don't know that they can share personal things with the people that are close to them. And so they just get further, further withdrawn and removed into their heads. They're trying to, you know, read enough books or study the right things. And, and so they really do just isolate and detach from the world around them. But the, the problem, of course, is that isolation, you know, begets more isolation, begets more isolation. Yeah. And so that person, the five, ends up feeling like no one can ever get close enough to satisfy the other people in their life, they also feel that way. No matter what I do, no matter what I give, no matter how much generosity I try to show to you, it just feels like it's never enough to satisfy. And so as a result, the five just continuously withdraws, withdraws, withdraws. And that, you know, leads to just some really, really difficult problems as people age and as they get older. So every personality type has an idol that they are tempted to worship. And the idol for the five that they're tempted to worship is knowing it all. And all idols require sacrifice, and knowing it all requires sacrificing intimate relationships. Why? Because relationships, there is no way we're ever going to know it all. Right. Because people are not books. People are not math equations. People are messy, and they're emotional, and they're, they're mysterious. Yeah, and the thing that was true two months ago is not the same thing that's true now, and not even in like a weird, like emotionally erratic way, but just we evolve over time. And so if you're close to somebody and you're a five, like, it's okay that people change and you can't figure them out. I feel like fives just really, like, want to get to the bottom of things and just be content with whatever they find. So uh, knowing it all requires sacrificing feeling known and loved because when you need to know it all, it means that you just have a desire to consume more and more and more knowledge to always be right. But the desire to know it all puts you in a place where suddenly feeling known feels really scary and risky and impossible mm -hmm. because that means that people are going to figure out the parts of you where you do not have it all figured out. Yeah, I think fives really like to be seen as a competent person, but emotions are not like you can't box them in. Like they're not going to make you look competent. They're going to make you look kind of like a hot mess. And that's OK. But yeah. fives just really kind of attached to this this image of like, I'm the one that has it all figured out. I'm the one that has it all together. And that will break down over time. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, knowing it all requires sacrificing being engaged in life. Because knowing it all is the idea of retreating into our minds. And, you know, I do, I think of, you know, just folks that just get lost in the landscape of their mind and that they get so lost in their mind where they almost become detached just from the, the world around them and the life that they're living. And the real danger can really become where folks become so satisfied in just their mind that they're willing to settle for that lesser satisfaction of living in their mind rather than living in their real life with other people. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how the wise person is transformed. Uh, so Sam, tell us some about that. Yeah, so they're able to relinquish the tendency to hoard and to be greedy and really adopt a posture of generosity. So it's going from a from something of closed hands to open hands. And so they are able to give more freely of themselves, both of their time, their mental energy and their resources, instead of withdrawing and detaching and removing themselves all the time. Yeah, and especially generosity in terms of emotional, relational generosity, mm -hmm. you know, showing up for their relationships in life and being emotionally, relationally present, not retreating into their minds, but saying, these people need me to show up and I want to give of myself. And I don't want to just give of myself on all on my terms, but I want to compromise with the people around me. If they're telling me they need words of affirmation, I want to give words of affirmation. If they're telling me that they need a hug, I want to give them a hug. 
If my spouse is saying that they need a little romance, I want to give them some romance. But it's showing up just with emotional, relational generosity. So when we come back, we'll be talking with a truly scholarly, thoughtful, wise five, Mike Cosper. Stay with us. Okay, so Sam, there was this recent study that came out that said three out of five college students do not have a job lined up when they graduate from college. That's terrifying. So that's 60% of people that will not have a job once they graduate. At the same time, there's all these amazing nonprofit ministries that are dramatically understaffed. Like they just do not have enough people to do all the amazing work that they want to do. Man, so with both of these problems, what do we do? Okay, so we took both of those problems and we came up with an idea. And the idea was Love Thy Neighborhood. So with Love That Neighborhood, we give young adults the real world experience that they need. They're going to get the professional experience by being on the front lines of urban ministry and meet different people in fields that they are passionate about. But at the same time, all of these nonprofits are going to be able to do twice as much as they could before because they're going to have all of these wonderful reinforcements. Wow, that sounds like a great ministry. How would someone find out more? So they would head over to lovethatneighborhood.org and they can check out all the different causes that we support. When they go to apply, they get to choose a handful of those causes, and then we'll pair them up with a nonprofit ministry that they love and give them the real-world experience that they need. So again, all they have to do is head over to lovethatneighborhood.org, and they can apply now. All right, welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Mike Cosper. Mike is a writer, speaker, and podcaster. In 2016, he founded Harbor Media, a media company serving Christians in a post-Christian world. He's the host of Cultivated, a podcast about faith and work. He's also the author of a new book, Faith Among the Faithless, Learning from Esther How to Live in a World Gone Mad. Prior to launching Harbor Media, Mike served as one of the founding pastors at Sojourn Church in Louisville, Kentucky, where he still serves as an elder and from which he launched Sojourn Music, a collective of musicians writing songs for the church. And to top it off, Mike is a coach and consultant who has been using the Enneagram for the last decade with the leaders and teams that he works with. Mike and I have been friends for almost 20 years now. Yeah. So Mike, you, you just heard our overview of your type. Yeah. What resonated with you? I think the the first thing that resonates with me is like, when I hear like fives crave information, I don't like, I don't immediately resonate with that phrase. Um, I don't think of myself necessarily that way. But yeah, I think as somebody who who likes information, who who sort of feeds off of it and likes quirky, weird facts and kind of holds those things. You're talking about being on vacation. Like I'm totally that nerd that's like, <laughs> actually, guys, did you know that this yeah. place, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, that's totally, totally nails me. I think the vices as well resonate a lot. Um, my tendency to kind of withdraw um, particularly in stressful situations to sort of isolate, to try to solve things alone, to solve problems by myself. Um, the tendency to think like, I I can figure this out. So I'm just going to lock myself in my office until I've, I've sorted out what needs to happen and then, yeah. and then get that done. And, and a lot of times you end up up a creek because fives, fives have a hard time making decisions. You know, like one of my, one of my things I talk about when I do consulting a lot of times is like, you take a three or four and a five car shopping, you know, the three is going to, he's going to buy the Honda Accord, right? He's going to buy what's efficient and effective and he's going to get that done. 
the the four is going to buy something that's totally impractical but reflects their personality in some ways. And the five is going to sit there looking at Auto Trader for six months, unable to make a decision about which one. Like I, I totally resonate with that. Like yeah. making yeah. the making the car buy. Is it because is it far. from a sense of fear of what else could be? Is it is it yeah. from a sense of like maybe maybe there's know, maybe I don't have enough information. Yeah, the information. Maybe there's something thing, yeah. else. You know, maybe there's something better. Maybe there's a better deal. Or maybe, I haven't thought about it in the right way. Yeah. Do you find that fives like mistrust their own thought patterns or decision totally. making? And yeah, so just the idea of well. I, I have an idea, but I need to read about it to make yeah. sure or I need to compare and contrast a little bit more. Yeah. And as I've gotten coaching for myself about sort of living as a five, so much of it is trying to sort of dig through those thoughts and come to a place where I understand like this is the threshold that I need to get to in order to make a decision. And then once mm -hmm. I make a decision, don't don't sit there and beat yourself up over it. Like don't don't sit there and rethink it. Don't sit there and relive it let the decisions be what they are and let the consequences be what they are and move forward. Hindsight can be very painful for fives because they mm. see all the things they missed. It, it's fascinating to hear you say that because from the rest of us, we had a we were doing another interview for the podcast this morning and I said, oh yeah, Mike Cosper's coming in. And the person's response was, now that guy is going to make the rest of us look like idiots. <laughs> and and the, and the reason is because Fives, you you guys, you're well read. You love knowledge. You have a pursuit of the truth, and I'm gonna guess that simultaneously, it's like, oh, that's so encouraging and flattering that someone thinks me that way. And better, Wrong. better stand up and keep <laughs> on going and making sure I'm on top of things. Well, no, and I think the other thing that being a five, the other thing you do is you hear something like that and you go, well, that's wrong. There's plenty that I don't know, and mm -hmm. that's that terrifies me. You yeah. know, <laughs> fives feel like they're supposed to have all the answers. Yeah, and so when you when when somebody says, oh, that guy's going to be really smart, like the pressure and the anxiety that comes from that is like, what if I'm not? Yeah. Like, what if I don't have what you want me to say? What if right. I'm not prepared to go there? But one of the things that I, that I do love about you, I mean, we've been friends for a long time. I'll ask you a question and you are as likely to give me your thoughts as you are to say, I don't know. Hmm. I don't feel, I don't experience you as that you have a compulsion to give an answer. Now, you might be experiencing that inside. Mm -hmm. But I, I hear you plenty say, I'm not sure, I don't know, mm -hmm. which I think is a far more respectable answer than like, let me tell you, you know, everything that I know, even though it might be the wrong rabbit trail. And I think some of that comes from the work I've done with coaches and counselors being able to say like, yeah. hey, it's okay not to know. It's okay not to have an answer. One of the things I've seen in my own consulting, and I see it as a temptation uh, at times, is that fives can be guilty of little white lies all the time because they feel the compulsion to have an answer to every question. And mm. it's like, well, you know, it's this, you know, the answer is this and here's yeah. why the answer is this. And then in hindsight, you look back and you go, that was a, that was a wild guess. I heard Tim Keller speak live once and afterwards, as he often does, he did a Q and A. Yeah. And one of the questions that was asked is somebody in the audience said, um, what do you struggle with? And he said, I struggle with passing a bookstore and not going into it. And then once I'm in the bookstore and I come across a subject that I think may be necessary, and he actually it was very interesting, he said, necessary for this moment. Mm. He said, doing these Q&As, I feel like I need to read as much as possible because my greatest fear is one of you is going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer mm. to. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It makes so much sense of who Keller is because Keller is this guy with this this incredible breadth of knowledge. Yeah, like they call him can, the C.S. Lewis of our generation. Yeah, like that's he, no small thing. He can speak thoughtfully on so many things. And so 
I think that is that is a part of it when when issues come up, when hot topic issues come up in the news, like I'm definitely craving to go, okay, who's written the good long form story that can sort out the fact from the fiction here so that I feel like if I'm going to say anything about this, I'm going to say it intelligently. Yeah. How does that play into how you prepare professionally for your guest interviews on your cultivated podcast and your preparation for book writing? Like, mm-hmm. Well, I worked on this and this is a classic, like this is a classic tied up five, but I had a book come out last year called Recapturing the Wonder and I rewrote the first chapter of that book 10 times. Wow. So probably 50,000 words on just getting the first chapter right. And that was like, deeply non-resourceful five stuff going, (laughs) I got to get this right. I got to get this right. I got to get this right. And then, you know, by God's grace and after some really good encouragement from a few friends, I was able to go, okay, this is right enough. You you pull from your, your four wing. Are you a four wing? I am, but I'm not a melancholic four. Right. Right. Like I don't, I'm not afraid to put work out there. Right. So it wasn't the because force can suffer from endless tinkering. Right. You know? Yeah. It's not perfect enough. It's not. Yeah. My my concerns were more it's not right. Like, and I have like personalities in my head that I, are friends of mine and others that I know will read it. And I'm like, so-and-so is going to read this and go, well, that was lame. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And so that that's kind of the way the fear comes in is like fear of others in the sense of fear of scrutiny and somebody going, oh, you're a faker. You don't actually know what you're talking about. Well, let me let me switch over to something else a little bit then. You know, how do you strike the balance between your need for time alone and your community's need for you to be relationally present? Yeah. I don't know that that's something that I I give a ton of thought to. My most fruitful time alone is early in the day. Do you recharge being alone? I do. Is that part true? I do. And I I really love starting my day as alone as possible. So getting up early, you know, when I'm living my best life now. <laughs> which, which is not, Ding. Uh, yeah, which is not necessarily the the past little season, but I love to get up early in the morning, you know, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, and then have a solid hour to two hours just by myself, journaling, uh, getting out whatever that's tangled up in my head, and you know, reading the scriptures and praying, and then, and then even going moving from that into whatever exercise I'm doing if I'm running at the time or if I'm going to the gym. And that's very much an isolation thing too. Like I don't want to talk. People are always like, "Oh, we should go running together." Like I never want to go running with anybody. Like, <laughs> yeah, ever. That's your worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> talking and running is hard anyway. The right. running is hard. Right. The talking is hard. Why would you do them together? And just yeah, even it's not the a social thing. event. Yeah, yeah it's even, not even just you're the not there to socialize. Like, you're there to get what you exactly, need to be done and go home. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing at the gym. Like I don't, I don't want to talk to you at the gym. Like don't talk to me. If I have headphones in, don't talk to me at the gym. <laughs> That's the misanthropic part of the five coming uh, out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, yeah. Now people see you at the gym and they're like, oh, he said not to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> but once I kind of push through that part of my day, I feel like my soul's in order and I'm ready to have conversations. I'm ready to, ha- I'm ready to engage. I find like a, one of the challenges I try to do it like as a dad is to have some kind of moment of reset before I get home. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just like 10 or 15 minutes of like, okay, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to think about my day you know, so I can end it well. And then so when I actually show up at the house, I have something to give. I'm able to be because I walk in the door and the kids want presents. But but isn't it harder now to do those little 15 minute gaps? Because my inclination is the moment I have that 15 minute gap, I got my phone out and I'm catching up, which is, you know, I'm getting wound up about stuff I'm reading on Twitter, you know. So do you find it harder now to really take that true mental gap than maybe it even was 10 oh, years for sure. ago. For sure. Yeah. And well, and I would say 10 years ago, I didn't have the self-awareness to know that I even needed that in the first place. Yeah. You brought um, up an interesting 
language of saying i feel ready now for the day like there's mm-hmm. a sense in which like you needed to go somewhere to be prepared like yeah, yeah so it's just the centering sure. that makes you feel more engaged and i think fives mm-hmm. oftentimes live with a sense of unpreparedness but they don't know they're going about trying to get that yeah. sense of competency in other ways that are at a loss to their relationships yeah D- david lynch has this great little book on on meditation that i think is fascinating it's not from a christian perspective but one of the things that he talks about is he talks about the reason he meditates is because he needs this space in his life to be able to check in mm. and kind of go, okay, what's happening inside of me? How can I kind of let those things come to the surface and then let them go? Um, whether it's, you know, anxiousness or even creative blocks and that kind of stuff. So I think the reason to practice like that's so crucial for him is it's like he goes into a room by himself, he shuts the door and he just lets the batteries recharge. Okay, so five withdraws, kind of their batteries start recharging. They're trying to kind of, you know, get an overview, an objective view of what's before them. But obviously fives are tempted to go like, let me back up a little farther. So I almost imagine like, you know, you ask somebody to take your picture and like mm-hmm. it's like a five is like, oh, you know what else would be interesting in this photo? And they back up a little farther <laughs> and a little me. farther. And then eventually <laughs> like they've left with the phone and yeah. they're like, I'm just making sure everything's in the shot. Like, right. you know. How does a five protect themselves? Well, first off, do you struggle at times going like, hey, I think I'm overly detached right now? Yeah. I mean, one of the gifts I have in my life is is my wife, who's a two, and who's, her seven score is pretty high as well. And so she's personable. She's engaged. She's, she's very caring and attentive, but she also craves that kind of caring attention. And so, you know, when we first took the Enneagram, it was like, it was profound for our marriage because... She she looked at me and, and my five score and my eight score is pretty high as well. And just kind of seeing the composite that comes together from looking at all the numbers, she was like, you're not just a jerk. <laughs> you just <laughs> you just tend to be sort of detached and you tend to be sort of very direct. And those are neither virtues nor vices. They can be used virtuously. And, right. And, but they don't make sense to come up like five and eight. They yeah. seem different. So for yeah, that to be present, she was probably yeah trying to. Yeah, parse trying all to that sort of out, parse yeah. all that out. And then it, it did the same for me where I was looking at her going, your tendency to want to like give everybody a gift that you ever meet. Like that's your, that's yeah. your two. Like yeah. I'm not wired that way. I don't comprehend that, but now I can kind of have some language for that. So, so marriage has been like this great crucible for us of having compassion for somebody who's wired so very differently and then seeing it as an invitation to then go, okay, I love her well by meeting her where she's at and that demands presence and that demands that I do the work as as an individual that makes me capable of of offering that kind of mm-hmm. presence. Yeah. Yeah, I have a follow-up question kind of off of relationships and for those of us who are close to fives or who know fives, how can we love and appreciate fives and what would be unloving to ask or put on a five? I think it's not that you can't give fives timelines and, and like if you're working with a five, it's not that you can't give them timelines. It's that you have to be reasonable and recognize that, hey, this person I'm working with, they process things more slowly, but they're going to process it more thoroughly. And so if they don't if, turn, on, turn on a dime, yeah, they don't turn on a dime. What they bring to the table, if you have like a brainstorming discussion, is they're, they're going to bring a breadth of perspective and whatever the initiative, whatever the thing you're working on, they're going to be able to apply a whole lot of context to it and go, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Here's where this fits historically with us, our organization, or our country, or whatever the thing might be. And so I think recognizing that strength that they bring is incredibly worthwhile. The price you pay is 
the five is always going to ask your organization to move more slowly. And so you have to sort of navigate the, the tensions of that. And if you force their hands, then they're going to go to non-resourceful places and they're going to torpedo projects and, um, and just find themselves functioning in a way that's just not as effective as, as mm-hmm. it could be. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, when we come back, we'll be playing Personality TV. Stay with us. On today's episode of the Uniacast, we're exploring Type 5, The Thinker. And our guest today is Mike Cosper. Mike's actually appeared on our other show, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. This crazy thing happened to Mike a couple years ago where he preached this sermon about racism and a bunch of crazy things happened as a result. You can hear more of Mike's story in episode number one, where the gospel meets racial reconciliation. I mean, I I went home, couldn't sleep that night. That entire hour and 15 minutes or whatever was very tense. Really, man, I love the black church. But in order to come here, I had to give that up. My skin, something that I can't control is just influencing so much of my life. This is like the elephant in the room. The problem runs deeper than we know. Subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Hey, welcome back. It's Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And right now we're going to play Personality TV. Okay, so Mike, we're going to play Personality TV. Uh, here's how it works. Sam is going to give us the name of some television shows. So it shows that both you and I are familiar with. And in turn, we're going to write down the name of the character on that show that we believe represents today's type, the which five. is the five. So Sam will count to three. And then at the same time, we'll both reveal our answers. And if we match, we get a point. If we don't match, no point. And regardless, you got to explain why you gave the answer that you did. So, sound good? Yeah. Okay. You ready? So, they all have to be fives. Yeah. So, all you're answering is okay. the five. Who okay. is the five on each show? And okay. here's what I love is like, you're known as like the TV dude. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing with you now. And uh, yeah, I anticipate I'm going to get them all wrong. And then you're yeah. going to- You're going to come in and just say, yeah. this is why I thought about this. Yeah. And I'll go- <laughs> I don't know. In retrospect, I don't, he was I don't know right. How, I don't know how well fives are represented on TV. You know, honestly, there were a couple this. that I, I had and I go, there's no five on this television show. Yeah. And I, I had to remove them. So- mm-hmm. yeah. okay. All right. This one I think is, is easy. Um, Parks and Recreation. Oh, um, I got that in a heartbeat. You guys got it? Yep. One, two, three. Oh, wait. What, who, what'd you write down? Julie Nope. No. Her it's, books, man. First, her first name Leslie Nope. Leslie Nope. Leslie Nope. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be terrible with you. Know, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Leslie Ron nope. Swanson, bro. Yeah, I see. I just don't see. I, I see Ron as like a highly dysfunctional nine. Because <laughs> um, um, I know someone in my life who is Ron Swanson, and he's not a five. So but Leslie. He has that expertise in like woodworking. He does. And- but whenever something comes up, like the history of Pawnee, 
Leslie Nope will bore you to death with the his- history of Pawnee. Mm-hmm. Whenever true. there's like a a policy decision or a thing, like she when she wants Anne to take over as like the health director of yeah. the city, she like comes with a with fifteen here are all the manuals that I've read. Yeah, that, you know, here's everything you need to know. Um, Crud, Mike. So I I would go with uh, Leslie Nope. Uh, Interesting. Well. Huh. He's probably right. No point. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, show two, Sherlock. Okay. I oh, got one. Okay. Uh, one, right. two, three. No! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So, um, Jesse, you wrote Sherlock. I think Sherlock. And you wrote. Literally, dude, he's literally an encyclopedia. Okay. But, Mike, what did you write? I wrote Watson because I feel like Watson's the one that's always trying to slow things down and make sure that he's getting perspective. And I generally, this is generalization, it's not fair, but I generally think that if you're an opium addict, you're probably a non-resourceful <laughs> seven. So, that's just, a, that's just where my brain goes. He's smoking you with his reasonings. But Watson is more social. Watson is more social and Sherlock has the mind palace. So, yes. I, I could go either way on that. Yeah, one. interesting. He literally has a mind palace. He does. That's like the definition of the five. Yeah. Okay, All okay. Right. Show three. <laughs> but the opium. <laughs> Show three, the office. Okay, I went back and forth on this one, but I yeah, there's some, I, there's some disagreement good. in the room. I feel good in my answer, and I feel like I can justify my okay. I feel like I can justify it. Mark, are you an Office fan? I am an Office fan, but I don't I don't feel good about my answer. So okay, oh, you got go one. One, two, three. Yeah! Oscar. Oh, that's okay, so here's what I said: Oscar. Mike said. I said Dwight. Okay, and I said Oscar because uh, he's an accountant. He's really well read. He's yeah. the guy that when other things go down in the office, they turn to him yeah. and uh, and he's always like, "Well," and he goes on to explain it to them. Yeah. So that's. And that's he, has, why. he likes. I just chose Dwight because he hates people. So <laughs> that's, that's the. Uh, that, his, no, his zero tolerance. I will tell you this: whatever Dwight is, it is non-resourceful. It is. <laughs> <laughs> we can agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Uh, show four: Stranger Things. Gosh, you know what's terrible for me is I don't remember the kids' names. I know it's been a while since they've had season two came out. Yeah, everybody just remembers Will Mike, and Barb. You know, Barb, poor Barb. R.I.P. There's eleven. Eleven. Uh, there's one. Hopper. There's one. Steve. What's Five. the sister's name? Sister. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the sister's name. Nancy. Yeah, I don't right? think we're gonna get this Nancy, one, yeah. buddy. Yeah, considering that you said what's her name, and I said I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we both wrote down sister. Maybe. It's Let's possible. see. One, two, three. Sister <laughs> Nancy. Nancy. I wrote Hopper. Okay. I, wrote Hopper. I think Hopper's a good choice. Yeah. yeah. Jesse, why Hopper? Uh, he's a really smart, uh, smart guy. Private though, he enjoys mm-hmm. his privacy, but he's got this real kind of he has very very strong connections with people but he's off the grid he doesn't want to yeah he yeah, he, yeah. Mm-hmm. so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna change my answer while we're just sitting here Why talking not? About topper. It. topper i'm gonna go with uh to demogorgon I'm, I'm gonna go with will's uh will's brother oh yeah the with, oh yeah that's a good one guy. he's interested like he's he's yeah. got four wings yeah he's doing the photography oh. stuff What's but he's name? he's he's the guy that's like we got to get to the bottom of yeah you know what's going on. I think so, you're probably right. So I, either All way, right. we don't get the point. Yeah. So far we're at zero. We are out of one, two, three, four. Yeah, zero for yeah, four. Yeah, we're zero. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's see if we get this one. X Files. Oh, come on, Mike. Come on, Mike. Read my mind. Can fives do that yet? They'll get there yet? eventually. That's not like. An actualization process. Like, that's not what they're okay. going for. All right. One, two, three. 
Okay. I think How are make, we friends? You can make the case that they're both fives because they're both down for the information. Oh, so for the listener, uh, Mike said Scully and I wrote down Mulder. But so here's here's what I'm going to make the case. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go to who has less impulse control? Definitely Mulder. She's a doctor. She's uh, like she's a medical doctor. Yeah. She, so she's got yeah. like the researcher. Like she's she's the researcher. She's the one that's like digging into all kinds of stuff now. Mulder is like encyclopedic about weird stuff. Yeah. But he's also like – he's very non-resourceful. I mean he's like watching porn in every other episode. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a whole thing going on with him and yeah. like that non-resourceful seven thing. And he's he's kind of out there for the adventure. He's the first one out of the so car. We, he's we caution to the wind. I think they're Mulder. both fives. Okay. So that's <laughs> no points. Oh, wow. Next one. Lost. Lost. Come on, Mike. Um, what's his last name? Whatever. Whatever. Let's go. Okay. Let's one, two, three. John Locke. Ah! Yeah! First boy! Yeah! There we go. Yeah, John Locke totally. He's yeah. a genius. Like, yeah. really smart. Very well-read. The one that wants answers. The one who wants answers. Pursuit of the truth. Yeah. But he's okay being kind of on his own. Yeah. Yeah. John Locke, y'all. Nice. All right. Finally, you're right on the board. One wrong. point. All right. Okay. Next one. The on Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. On a roll. The Simpsons. This one's easy. Oh, please be right. Okay. One, two, three. Yeah. yeah. Two in a row. There we go. Lisa, Lisa Simpson, Simpson. y'all. Lisa right. Simpson. Awesome. Okay. Is it okay. obvious for the listeners why? I think so. I mean, I'm not I a mean, come on. consumer. Listeners. She's pedantic. She knows everything. She knows what pedantic means. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you lost me at Simpsons. <laughs> Last one, Battlestar Galactica, which is a real show and not just an office reference for okay, those I'm, I'm describing that a character are my age. I can't You're describing name. a character. <laughs> and I'm giving a cruel stereotypical response to non-resourceful fives. Uh-oh, one. Here we, oh, she gets to yeah, yeah, it. yeah. One, two, three. <laughs> I said all the Cylons. <laughs> and I said the main woman, whatever her name is. Six. No. Laura? Yeah, Laura. The president. The president. Yeah. I think she's a five. First female president in outer space. She was a doctor. She was a doctor. Yeah. All right. All the Well, Cylons. you guys, what, got two even, points? I so, stopped. You didn't even want to win that game by the end. That one I didn't. I didn't <laughs> want to do. I just wanted to say all the Cylons. That's all that was. You guys scored a two. <laughs> <laughs> We're great at yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, in Mike's defense, uh, I think he does have a greater grasp of fives than I do. So I got, I got some work to do. Okay, so Mike, we have uh, five final questions that we ask everyone. Okay. So, here's five final questions. What actor would play you in a movie? Oh, man. Uh, I don't even... See, this is a hard thing for fives. I don't have enough information. I don't have enough time to process this, guys. You pick or I will. Nope, you that's go. not how the game... No. Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> no, that's not, how the, DeVito, that's not how the question's answer. supposed to work. <laughs> <laughs> the question's about self-awareness, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesse, sorry. not okay. stereotyping. Um, yeah, I... I, uh, I mean, yeah. I really don't know. I genuinely... I don't have a, like an easy answer to that question. So... He'll get back to us. I'll get back yeah. to you. I'll email you and you can... Okay, if we had everyone who's on the you know holding their breath for this, keep maybe keep in some waiting. future episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, we got an email from Mike Cosby. 
You told us who we think. I'll tell you what, we'll put it at the credits of this episode. You okay. just email us your answer when you're on Yeah, there. post-production. Okay, question number two. If we had a phone that could call your 21-year-old self, what would you say to them? Um, I would say start counseling now because I think that needs to be something that's normalized for everyone. And the earlier you can start a journey to self-awareness, the better. I think that's probably what I would say. How can friends and loved ones affirm someone with your personality type? I just recognize that they need space and that they're slow processors. Mm-hmm. Um, recognize that silence does not mean they don't care. I think that's huge. And that's something that, that I've seen in a lot of my relationships is just this recognition that just because I'm not necessarily responsive doesn't mean I don't care. It means I'm sort of locked up internally and trying to sort of find what, what I need to say and what I need to do to help. Uh, number four, how does the good news of God's presence help you heal your deadly sin of greed? Mm. Well, the first thing, I mean, to apply it a little more broadly, the first thing that comes to mind is um, that I, like, I don't have to have the answers. I don't have to have it put together, you know? Um, and I think that applies to greed in that greed, especially when you get beyond money and greed for information, greed for you know, greed in the form of gluttony and in the form of sort of hoarding information and all of that, you know, behind all of that is this fear of not having enough of whatever that that is. And so, you know, the gospel is this provision that says, you know, in the most essential way for your life and your soul, you have what you need. You have more than what you need. There's an abundance. Um, the, the book of Matthew, Jesus talking about life in the kingdom, you know, God gives us a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. I think that's a really important image for fives is just this sense that what God gives us, he's, you know, it's this image of somebody scooping up grain from a, from a bag and he's, it's shaken so that it sinks down and filled back up and pressed together. And it's like, there is more than you need. There is abundance. There's, there's abundance, not help. scarcity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that gives a good segue to our last question, which is what scripture verse do you hold dear as it relates to your type? Hmm. Um, you know, the one the one that just immediately comes to mind, it's one that I've held on to for a whole variety of reasons. But, you know, Ephesians 2, 1 through 11, you know, Jesus, who uh, who was in very nature, God did not cling to his rights, um, but made himself nothing. I think that that image of God not clinging to what's his um I think really speaks to to me as a five back to this whole idea of do I have to cling to things? Do I have to do I have to grasp at my status? Do I have to grasp at uh, control? I think a lot of what we do as fives is about control, you know, uh, having a sense of control and order in the world and being able to sort of be relinquished from that and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, um, letting go of some of that and entrusting the consequences of that, good or bad, to him are really, really important, really profound. Well, thank you for sharing with us today, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, man, this was fun. Thanks for having me. It was fun. It was fun. We'll have to play a game another time where actually maybe we'll get some points. Right. (laughs) Let's name a character and get the number. I think I'd be better at that. Oh, true, yeah. Yeah. So, or I'm just going to rig it. I might just rig it next time. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just do what's necessary. They're all five. Okay, so I promised you all that uh, I would get word from Cosper which actor would play him in a movie. And Mike just wrote a few minutes ago. And the answer? 
is Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He was the co-creator of Seinfeld. He's pretty whimsical. He's kind of dark. He can be a little reclusive, Hmm. uh, but he's pretty darn funny and, you know, really, really bright and intelligent. Witty. I feel like, Mike, you chose well. Thank you to our special guest today, Mike Cosper. Uh, He is the host of the Cultivated podcast. Go listen to Cultivated now. Their new season is full of insanely fascinating guests. Also, make sure to pick up Mike's new book, Faith Among the Faithless. For more information about any of Mike's projects, you can connect with him at his website, MikeDCosper.com. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained all three of us in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their amazing retreats, visit CrosspointMinistry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson. Engineering and editing by Janelle Dawkins with Justice Smith. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm